Hi, welcome to the Thinking Podcast. We have with us a re- very exciting guest. We have Tim Brown, one of the founders of Allbirds, which is a shoe company. I've got mine on here today. Uh, check them out. It's a, a shoe company that's not only extremely fashionable, like we're seeing it all over the place, seeing it in, in articles from fashion magazines to tech magazines to just on the on the train, we're seeing it all over the place, but also has really interesting mission and motivation behind the company. It's not just cool looks. There's a lot of ways that, that they're rethinking how they do business, how they build culture, how they build product. And so this is an exciting opportunity to get into the mind of, of someone who we consider a great entrepreneur and see, you know, how do, you, how do they make their dreams come true? What do, what do you do um, starting from day one through the present day through the future to take a big audacious goal and break it into smaller parts and get it done? So Tim, thanks for being with us today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Uh, so take us, take us back in time to when, when this was all just an idea for Allbirds and, and what was that idea? And what kind of sparked it? I mean, you yeah. said you're a smart guy. There's a lot of problems you could be solving in the world. Like, what was it about the problem here with uh, with Allbirds that, that you were really interested in solving? So I was back in my native New Zealand. Uh, I actually had a, my previous career was actually in professional sport. I played soccer for nearly a decade. Um, and I, I, I kind of had my afternoons free. I didn't want to play PlayStation. And um, I was very interested in creating and branding and in making. Um, I didn't grow up on a sheep farm. I didn't uh, grow up with 300 pairs of shoes in my cupboard. But I, I, I think I saw an opportunity um, in footwear. I think, uh, you know, we were sp- I was sponsored by Nike at the time. Everything had logos. So I think this started off as a bit of a design insight that, that, that you could create something that was unbranded, something that was better than a Chuck Taylor and cheaper than a Common Projects. I knew nothing about shoes, but I set out to try and solve that problem. It was very much my problem. Um, I, uh, and, and I embarked on a, a kind of what in hindsight was a little bit of a crazy journey to, to solve that. Um, I found a factory in my off season. Uh, I, I, I learned how to kind of make shoes really from, from nothing, um, and launched a, an initial sort of product that, um, you know, started to solve that problem. And I think as is always the case with these journeys, once you start, uh, trying to solve one, problem or ask yourself one question there's a there's a thousand more that pop up and that's what happened for us and what was the initial vision of the of what the company and what the product could be i mean there wasn't a great one there was in my particular case i had um the virtue of time so i was not building this thing to pay my rent or it was really about scratching an itch about um satisfying a curiosity and i set out to see if i could make something and it just so happened to, to be that i started in shoes and um, you know, we, we made a, a shoe, we sold a shoe, we learned a ton. I was working largely with my brother at the time and a buddy that I played football with and it was, you know, it was completely amateurish. Um, but, but we started. And I think sometimes, like, when I look back, a lot of times people see problems, they think about, you know, that, uh, solving them, they talk about solving them, but oftentimes just beginning is, 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 is the hardest part. And I look back now and I, I mean, there's no real plan behind it. It was just... It was just a, it was a curiosity project. Okay, and then how did, how, when did it feel real for you? Like when, when did it go from, okay, this is a cool idea to like, okay, this is real? Yeah, so fast forward a, a number of years, we, we realized that the footwear industry hadn't really changed for hundreds of years, that a lot of things were just done the way they were because that's how they'd always been done. Uh, we were really fascinated by the idea that natural materials were largely ignored by the footwear industry who, who, who seemed to default to cheap synthetics and nasty leathers. 
um, and really sort of kind of over a, a period of time tried to sort of work out if there was a better way. Um, and through that period, it was, there was kind of a little bit of a seminal moment because we, we got excited by the idea of wool and comfort and, and what that might be able to be. And, and we're, again, curious as to why wool had never been used in footwear before. And we applied for, while I was still playing football, uh, applied for and won a, a relatively sizable research grant to, to basically solve that problem. New Zealand is the land of many, many sheep. Um, in the 70s, there was 70 million. Now there's less than 30 million. And the wool industry is like crying out for innovation. And we seem to, just at the right time, tap into a little bit of a, uh, a need for new markets and new uses for so wool. Everyone, everyone's just like, we have all this wool. Like, let's figure, we got to figure out more uses for this wool. If we right. could eat this wool, we would do that. Right. So was that good management or good luck? We got this grant. Over a couple of years, it was developed for us. And it's it, so interesting. The, the New Zealand government has grants to figure out how to put more find more uses for wool yeah i mean i think whether it's a government grant or whatever it is i, th- I think I, I think the underlying point is if 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 you ask the right questions or you ask ask a good question people will help you find the answer sure. um and oftentimes um a lot of that stuff's around and you and you, and you don't think you don't think t- to ask it um anyway uh, i went to the world cup very fortunately with new zealand in 2010 and played in south africa at the world cup and decided it wasn't going to get any better f- for me and my football career and retired and went off to uh, business school in London and all of a sudden had a little bit of shoemaking knowledge and uh, a woolen textile innovation. And so I, I put those two together at a class I took, an entrepreneurship class I took at um, Kellogg at Northwestern actually and with a professor called Carter Cast who used to, pretty uh, just an amazing teacher and someone who's still in touch with the business and what we're up to and, and basically just was encouraged um, with all the, uh, the best um, spirit of, of American... Uh, entrepreneurship and business to go uh, give it a go and I did that in 2014 I launched a Kickstarter campaign all of a sudden these wool shoes just blew up and you know I needed, what did, what would, how did you do on Kickstarter just I mean I, I got to the end of my grad school and I was like look like what do I do now like I, I, I had some definitely some strands in my life and some thoughts about the next stage of my career I was call it 33 and had never had a proper job in my mind and what 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 did the rest of my career look like and I had this business idea and was encouraged just to give it a go and again sometimes you overthink that first step I think in New Zealand and England that first step is much harder culturally in America everyone embraces it go have a go what's the worst that could happen failure doesn't matter uh, in New Zealand and, 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 and England where I was doing school that, that type of step is often sort of a lot harder and I think coming to America was quite um, instrumental for me in, in embarking on this journey and I, I had a I, I got a buddy in New Zealand to help me shoot a video. I ran around, chased some sheep on a farm in New Zealand, and I launched this thing on Kickstarter, not knowing whether my mum would be the only person to buy a pair, or you know whether it, there was something there. And in you know four days, we sold 120 grand. I ran out of fabric. I had to shut the whole thing down, and I, you know, and then I very quickly transitioned to the much larger problem of trying to deliver on 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 that demand yeah but it started and then it, I, it, we always call it a good problem to have but then we always follow that by saying but it's still a problem yeah <laughs> of course and I, I think you know lots of challenges it certainly was you know trying to get this thing off the ground to build a supply chain um to so you already had the like the design's already locked in i'm just saying like order of operations for anyone yep. listening so you, you knew what the shoe was going to look like you knew it was cool about it you knew the selling features you knew roughly how you would make it at scale yeah you'd figure out a lot of that so you, you put in a lot of work without knowing if anyone besides your mom i mean i'm sure you talked to people and you still thought it was a good idea but in general you didn't know if this was going to be a 
million dollar idea or like a five thousand dollar idea. Right? Yeah, like you, you didn't necessarily know until I, until you put in the work and then validated it on Kickstarter. Yeah, call it product market fit. Uh, became very clear to me there was something there. Once you were uh, on Kickstarter, yeah, yeah. And I, I had I had a clear vision for what I was trying to achieve, and I was designing effectively for myself. I was trying to solve a problem for myself. And, and I think the Kickstarter validated that there was more than just me that had that problem. Yeah. I think it very quickly transitioned to the challenges of supply chain construction and, and building for scale and growth and quality and all the challenges that anyone who tries to make something runs into. And it was just awful. It was incredibly hard. I learned a ton, all the, all, all the, all the bad times that, are, that, that, that create good lessons. And then sort of kind of got through the end of that year and, and was like, look, is it, this has been a great adventure. Is this, is this a business? Is this a larger idea? What does this mean? What are we trying to do? What's the larger underlying mission here um, for me personally? And um, can I achieve it? Or is, it, or is this just a kind of a one-off thing? And I met my now co-founder. Uh, our wives are best friends. They went to college together on the East Coast. And uh, he's from San Francisco. Um, very, very smart dude, engineer, business school guy who'd worked in the renewable material space. Joey's Willinger, and uh, he kind of came together to take on the, the half of the business that I was not doing very well, and it was just one of those 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 perfect sort of partnerships and perfect moments in time to kind of come together on this. And we we did. We decided that this wasn't just one shoe or a product; that there was a huge opportunity to build a, a sustainable brand in the um, footwear space. That there was a, a huge paradox that existed in in fashion really that um, if you ask kind of 100 people on the street 99 of them care about sustainability and then when it goes to buy stuff it goes out the window and we saw really a big opportunity to sort of bridge that gap to you know to, to change the way people perceive sustainable products and that was kind of the underlying idea that we came to consolidate around and we raised a round of money led by Lara Hippow in, in August of 2015 and, and relaunched essentially the brand as Allbirds on the 1st of March this year. And then what, from a fashion perspective, I think that's something that we haven't talked yet about, like the, the idea of using wool, the idea of having a, a renewable source for materials, something that had been not looked at. But let's talk about the fashion for a second, because I think that there's something really interesting going on with Allbirds, where the other day, my co-founder Jeff, he has the like, all-white ones, and uh, we were on the train, and we see someone who's, who couldn't be more like demographically just different, like it was a, a blonde woman, uh, Jeff is... Asian American, and they couldn't be more like different like corners of the fashion world. But she's she's completely dressed differently, totally everything different. But then at the bottom, same white on white albers, and it's a funny moment because it's like two completely different. Uh, like everything else they're wearing is totally different. Their entire image is all completely different, and then they're wearing the same thing. And so, what is it about about the brand that you built that's got that kind of crossover appeal? Where where you don't see that often. Usually there's men's shoes, there's women's shoes, there's men's apparel, women's apparel, and they're different things. What is it that, that you've, what is the thought process that's gone into it to make it have that, that type yeah. of crossover? Yeah, it's a great question. I, look, I mean, I think maybe it, it helps to give a little bit of a sense of how we view the footwear industry. Um, and I, th I think the way that, that we see it is that there's kind of, you know, quote, $60 billion in America. It's really three distinct chunks. Um, there is the sports performance space where Nike and Adidas make great products for their athletes down in Rio, and it's, it's about innovation and shaving grams of weight off shoes and smashing Olympic records, and, and it's pretty incredible what happens there. And I think if you look at the other end of the spectrum, there's the fashion industry, and that's about catwalks and styles and high price points and trends, 
And that's hugely interesting as well and inspiring. And we don't play in either of those segments. Right smack bang in the middle is what we call kind of the footlocker world, the casual footwear market, which is a little bit of an afterthought for for both the fashion brands and for the sports performance brands. And it's where Nike still sells a bunch of product. They sell um, sneakers stamped with a swoosh, um, made in Vietnam. But it it often is is an afterthought for for these companies. And it's not where the innovation happens. It's certainly not where a lot of thoughtfulness about sustainability happens. Um, and then kind of the final piece for us is there's, there's not a lot of focus on kind of the really the number one reason why people buy casual footwear, which is comfort. And so we sort of saw a big opportunity to create a brand there that, that had meaning that solved that particular problem. Um, we started with a sneaker. And when we started with a sneaker, it wasn't about offering a thousand SKUs or, you know, 16 styles and changing it every week with multiple colorways. It was, it was what was our perspective on the problem and how could we solve it with one product? And so we, it was all about distillation. We distilled it all down to its simplest form. When you look at our shoe, aside from really one detail that is a little flourish, you couldn't take anything away. There's no fewer seams. We're breaking a whole bunch of rules in, in the way shoes are traditionally made that we didn't know we were breaking until recently. And it's, it's, it, it's about a utility. So I don't think about our brand as a, as a fashion product, although there's a fashionable element to it. I think about us as solving a problem around comfort and movement and getting your friend and your, your CEO from work um, and in, in the simplest possible way to have a choice when he wakes up in the morning that is a non-choice there's just a shoe there that is 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 there and functional and delivering on its promise and it's comfortable and and so I think that that's allowed us to sort of whisper possibly when lots of other brands in the footwear space and there's many of them are screaming yeah. um, it's it's interesting what you said about a lot of what you've done is design the the shoe for yourself design a shoe that you really want to see in the world and I think that's a common trend we see around a lot of innovators like Mark Zuckerberg made Facebook because it was the the platform he wanted to have in college and uh, there's a lot of innovation that happens when people it's autobiographical in that way where people design something that that they personally want there's also innovation that happens very differently that happens you know listen to listen to your users or try to find a problem that's out there and try to solve it and, and listen to what people want um, and they're both important and every there's no right or wrong way I wouldn't say my question to you is how do you find the balance between listening to your own convictions your own vision versus like humbly listening to users hearing what they have to say and how do you how do you make decisions there yeah it's, it's, it's again it's another really interesting uh, question I, I mean I think it's probably important to clarify that sometimes when, when people talk about instinct or, or gut feel it's some it's sometimes certainly in an entrepreneurial context or uh, a design context where I was trained as a designer um, when I went to university. Um, it, it, what you're doing is effectively taking a thousand data points, observations, thoughts, glimpses, an article from the New York Times, something you've seen, a whisper you've heard in an elevator, and you're taking all these data points and you're synthesizing it into a, a sense or a feeling or a point of view on something. And it's really powerful. And I think if you listen to it, um, and you develop it, develop it, develop it, and you cultivate it, and you trust it. I think it's the best sense of or uh, direction that that anyone has. I think oftentimes people shut it out because they're too analytical, or they're looking for for more of a, a database sort of explanation. And that always has a place, right? But I think that 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 personal instinct is a very very powerful voice that we have, and it's it's oftentimes incredibly complicated and, and analytical in, in its own way. That's interesting. I think that, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. There's that sense of, oh, you know, in order to do, in order to know what the user wants, we need to do user research. We need to create the personas. We need to 
be very analytical. We need to survey people. We need to see what exactly Mark wants. And that has its place, of course. But I, what I'm also hearing from you is that with the right person on your team, or like you could be that person too. Like uh, you've talked to a thousand people. You've, you've had just through day-to-day -day life, through life experiences, you've empathized with, with countless hundreds, thousands of people. You've thought about this, read the article here, seen the blog post there. And then when you sit down in the room, you kind of represent and warrant that mind share of what all those people were thinking without having to like explicitly go talk to them. Granted, I'm not like poo-pooing the idea of like, go talk to users. If you're, if you're running a company, if you're in design, go talk to users. But like that there's something very powerful about that, that, that type of person who's just so in touch that by being in the room, you kind of channel what the zeitgeist is of what people want. Yeah, it's the power of curiosity. And I think oftentimes we talk about in our team sort of the, the why behind the what. And I, you know, you can ask someone what the problem is, they often won't tell you why. And so often, you know, observing, understanding the question that you're answering, understanding the right time to ask that question. I sort of think when, you, when you're innovating, there's a time to be really open and there's a time to be closed. And, and I think even when we're developing new products as we're intensely doing at the moment, um, there's a time to, to keep that with our tiny, small product team and to not ask for input and to trust our instinct to be quite selfish and incredibly focused with the vision that we have and trying to achieve it in the best way that we know how. Um, it's a classic case of, of where consensus can ruin an idea, uh, where multiple voices are not welcome. And then there's a time, oftentimes when you prototype something or you're in the early stages of understanding what something is, that you need to open it up to the world. Let it breathe. Yeah, and take all the feedback that you can possibly get and the punches that come along with it and really listen. And not just listen to what people say, not the what, but really understand the why of why they're saying that. And that can be really, really tough. But I think, I think you need to understand those two things as distinct phases. You need to be very, very closed in the early stages, often when, when you're incubating something, when it's precious and, and fledgling and, and probably and oftentimes crazy. And then, and then you've got to open it up. And, and I, th I think I have this like wonderful cadence with my co-founder who's an engineer who looks at everything with incredible rigor. And he gives me the absolute best feedback of anyone when it comes to evaluating a solution. And he's in some ways, um, and it, you know, and I say this to his face, uh, you know, kind of the worst guy to have around when an idea is very right. es esoteric and, and makes no sense because he's so smart. And so, I, and, and equally, I'm the worst person to probably have around when we're trying to solve a, a quite analytical like supply chain problem. Because you're dreaming of the yeah, I'm 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 jumping steps. I'm and so I think that I mean I think it's the you know one of the, the reasons why our partnership is so strong and, and so powerful and why we've been able to I think achieve things that either one of us could not maybe have done. But I think it speaks a lot to the innovation process too of, of having this ability to kind of close it up and open it at different cadences. Yeah. And one thing I would also say, so you're saying close it in the beginning when it's fragile, open it up when you're getting feedback. I think there's also this closing that goes on when it's time to like decision, make decisions too. You might brainstorm, get a bunch of ideas. This person said this thing, this person said this thing, a bunch of cool suggestions, and then you kind of have to coalesce it back down and, and refine it from, okay, all this feedback that we've gotten. You have to somehow like match that against, you know, do you want to do the more expensive thing that's nicer or the less expensive thing that's going to mean more people can have it? And there's something like that that's can a lot of times be a, a judgment call. Yeah, and look, I mean, if you look back at the arc of achievement, there's no secret to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the courage to do that time and time and time again until you get it right. And like, 
you know, the 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 Wool Runner product that we've launched is is, you know, there's no secret to it. It's hundreds and hundreds of variations of initially thinking there was a performance element to it, of taking a long time to understand the sort of the power of comfort and what that meant. Um, price points that we experimented with, really under deeply understanding and, and empathy for 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 our for the users and, and the problem that we were solving. I mean all that stuff, there's no secret source there. It's just courage and tenacity and the ability to kind of not rest and usually you know if, if you're prepared to keep going with something like that eventually you'll get there and i mean i know that's a that's a cliche but if you look at the arc of achievement i mean uh even when i look back on my football career a good chunk of it wasn't great and then you get to the world cup and it it looks it looks fantastic and you and so i, th- I think it's the same thing here and i i definitely you know i, I think there's huge parallels with what i've you know what i've previously experienced in sport and what we're going through here well neat so I, for any parting words I mean, where can people find you i assume check out allwords.com anything else that you wanted to oh no look i'm just thanks for ha- thanks for having us i mean I, I sort of think you know starting something building a business as you well know is is one of the hardest things you ever have to do and it's also the most rewarding and and i, I don't i'm just having a i'm having a great a great time plenty of things that um we could be doing better and um, a long way to go, but uh, so far so good. So, I I just I just think that I, the more I get into it, I just anyone who goes and has has a go at doing something, I just just takes courage. And I and I you know whether it's a success or a failure or whatever level it gets to, good on them for having a go. Awesome, thank thanks, you. man. Uh, I just want to say to everyone out there, thank thank you thinkers for listening in. You can check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud on the Google Play Store, and also, of course, iTunes. So thanks for listening, and let us know any questions. We love getting questions from you. See you next time.